0: Ireland 2009. It was economically a bleak time, but those pulling on the green jerseys to take to sporting fields around the world were giving us hope. Bernard Dunn became champion of the world on home turf. For the first time in 61 years, Ireland's rugby team won the Grand Slam, taking the Six Nations Championships and seeing out the entire year undefeated. Leinster kept that run going in the Heineken Cup, beating Leicester in the final. Kerry won the football, Kilkenny the hurling, Cork the camogie and Cork the ladies football, so all was in order in the GA world. Amateur golfer and proud Offaly man Shane Lowry took the honours at the Irish Open. It wasn't all rosy, though. Who can forget the hand of Thierry Henry in the World Cup qualifiers, sinking the nation's hopes of reaching the finals. In 2009, there also was no Women's National Soccer League. So what difference can 10 years make? For Shane Larry, that win as an amateur was swapped out for the claret jug at the Open. For women's football, there now is a Women's National League with eight teams and a sponsor. So what will it look like in 10 years' time? Welcome to Ireland 2029, shaping our future. We're partnering with Volkswagen to look at 10 big ideas that could shape Ireland's future for the better. In each episode, we'll talk to someone with a big idea to find out what it can achieve and whether it's practical or a complete non-runner. This week, we're looking at that Women's National League and what potential it has. Could it produce some of the world's most elite footballers? Could we have crowds of 10,000 or more at games by 2029? I'm your host, Sinead O'Carroll, and this is Ireland 2029 Shaping Our Future, brought to you by Volkswagen. Recently retired Irish international Karen Duggan is someone who has played in that Women's National League since its inception in 2011. Here are her thoughts on its potential.
1: It needs to stop being an afterthought, the women's game, the Women's National League. We understand that we don't generate revenue, we're not bringing in the audiences, but we're not going to do that with a reactive nature. It has to be all proactive from here out, so it needs to become an agenda for somebody somebody high up somebody needs to, to really really care and and push it and it is a big buzz thing now so now's the time to do it i mean we're just off the back of a massive world cup biggest audiences worldwide and just capitalize on it. it it really really does need to just become someone's agenda someone needs to take it by the scruff of the neck and just run with it <laughs>
0: I'm joined in studio now by the 42.ie's Emma Duffy. Emma, you have obviously been reporting on women's sport um, for a long time, and we wanted to get you in and see what we would all think about the possibilities of creating something really special in Ireland. But obviously there are a lot of hurdles to overcome first, but we're at a time now that maybe it's the perfect time. We've just come off the back of the World Cup. People are excited about women playing football. But that's on the international front. Can you kind of give us some insight about what's happening in Ireland at the moment?
2: 100%. As you say, it is an incredible time for anyone with interest or anyone participating in women's soccer. But the thing is, in Ireland, we're maybe a few levels behind, a bit down. With the Women's National League, As you say, there's eight teams, there's a sponsor, but is it really out there for young girls? I myself, I played a lot of soccer when I was younger, but I kind of went down the GA route then playing ladies football because the pathways were very unclear soccer wise. So you could kind of play it at a regional level, but then unless you were in with an international squad, like in the underage ranks, you didn't really know where to go. And it was either you go to Dublin to play your soccer or you quit.
0: This league was only set up in 2011. That's incredibly recent, no?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we look back through the years, I suppose, and you go back to 1973 when the FAI and the WFAI, so the Women's Football Association of Ireland, first organised a women's national league, um, which was called the Ladies League of Ireland or the Women's League of Ireland. There were 12 teams that participated and it went on for a few years. So then it kind of was abandoned in 1989. Then in 1996 there was another unsuccessful attempt to launch a league and then in the 90s and the 2000s there was no kind of national league, no elite level league for players to play and it was all regional leagues. So the Dublin Women's Soccer League was pretty much the main one and that's as I say if you want to play soccer you have to go to Dublin to compete in that.
0: Yeah, it was something that Colin Bell, um, who recently departed the women's national team, he was their their coach um, and had been making good strides. You know, we we drew with the Netherlands who people saw, you know, get to the World Cup final over the summer. He had some comments to make about what he wanted to do um, with the Women's National League. Did we ever get any detail about what his proposals were or what he wanted the league to become?
2: Not exactly, we I don't think we've really seen the plans, but we have seen kind of improvements that have been made during his tenure as the the women's national team boss. The thing is though that a lot of the focus is on International team and on underage teams in the Irish setup and not the league. And that was one thing with Colin Bell as well. He wanted girls going elsewhere to play their club football just because standards were higher elsewhere. Girls were training more often, living a professional life. Elsewhere, you
0: mean Arsenal and some of the other
2: clubs aren't exactly up in the Premier League? Over in the Super League in England, or even Amber Barrett recently moved to Cologne in Germany. There were girls going to America on scholarship, and he seemed to kind of favour that rather than the league in Ireland. And that kind of says a lot that there wasn't a huge amount of confidence or belief in the standard of the league here and the amount of work girls at these clubs were putting in. So how many people are actually playing football?
0: How many girls and women are playing football at the moment in Ireland?
2: So basically in Ireland, there are 24,706 female players playing organised football. The registered amount of adult players are 4,836 and then the registered female youth players are nineteen thousand eight hundred and seventy one. Their stats from the FAI, but then you see obviously that there's a lot more kind of younger girls playing, and then there is that drop off rate in the teenage years. There is that, as you say, girls don't know what pathways to follow, so their interests are are triggered off elsewhere. They go down the ladies football or camogie route. Some go to rugby, but most girls probably quit sport altogether. Fact.
0: So are the FAI ready to take that? The success of this summer's World Cup and actually use it to get more girls playing, or are we so far off
2: that point that it's kind of too early for us? Well, I think that with the current situation the FAI find themselves in, it's even lower down the list of priorities now than it was. But I think there is a ridiculous amount of work to do, to be honest. The thing is, women's football in Ireland is a bit of an afterthought and it has been but at the minute it's definitely going to be but there is potential there I know obviously money is a huge thing and financial investment and that would bring things on tenfold bring it on leaps and bounds but there are other really small improvements that can be made to bring the game on I definitely think so To that end Emma
0: you spoke with former international and current PMN player Karen Duggan who we did hear from earlier as well a little bit more about what she thinks the Women's National League could become
2: I suppose, Karen, you've been, been there from the start of the league, the Women's National League here in Ireland. You've kind of seen it all. I suppose just kind of your overall experience off the, the Women's National League, what would you say it's been?
1: Yeah, so I kind of it was kind of my first experience of playing with a big team. Eileen Gleeson was in charge of P-Mount at the time and she brought me in for the Champions League. And that was a great experience just because I'd been playing with my local club, Piltown. I'd played a bit with UL, but nothing on that level. I knew the girls from the national team, but now I was going up to play club football up in Dublin, this big scary thing for me. But um, at the start, it was great because I was going into a squad that had your Louise Quinns, that had all these big name players. um, And I knew them kind of in the underage setup and they took me under their wing. And at that point, there was those caliber players in the league, everyone in that setup was kind of around. There was only a few in the national team that were maybe professional at that time. Over at Arsenal, obviously, I went up as a, a young person, but I was nineteen. Now mm-hmm. it's you've got much younger players in the league, and um, that's kind of the way it's going. It is kind of that stepping stone. There's not as many girls that are my age there playing because it's a lot of commitment if if you're not going to take the next step and go professional or or if you're not making the, the national team. So, um, yeah, it, the landscape has changed a good bit over the years.
2: So I suppose basically what you're saying is now a lot of girls will kind of start out in the league, but then head on elsewhere, head on overseas.
1: Yeah, I think that the more people that are going abroad, it kind of opens people's eyes to what's available for girls outside of this country. The National League has been great for me. It allowed me to play for my country for for many years and it's allowing the girls to showcase their talents but now more so it is showcasing their talents with a view of maybe getting mm-hmm. a professional contract elsewhere.
2: That's one thing that kind of annoys me with the National League. It's not really out there that much and then, you know, you nearly compare it to, to Gaelic football like to the LGFA and what they're doing with games on TG TGC with social media going crazy every weekend but there's just not that same kind of drive National League guys.
1: Yeah, it and it's something very simple, like I remember when Little brought out the pink ball and the country was up in arms and it was one of the most effective marketing things and it was so, so simple. So it only takes something like that to spark it with the Women's National League. With social media now, there's no excuse really for not having it out there. I guess it's up to the girls in the league as well to push it. But it, it only takes that one investor, that one like catchy marketing technique to just, to propel it and you just hope that someone takes it by the scruff of the neck and because otherwise it could go the other way. It could fall by the wayside very easily um, and that would be terrible for all the girls who need that as the stepping stone. There was an announcement that Leinster ladies are going to play the same day as, as Leinster men's game now and everyone's really, really behind it. So why aren't we playing our Shells matches before a Shells game? Um, if that's possible, it's obviously not possible midweek, but if you could just align things a little bit better it'll just spark that interest a little bit more and and hopefully then people would keep coming back because it's good standard you're getting to see a good game and it's just your family showing your daughters who may play in this league how easy it is and how much fun it is and how good it can be.
2: I suppose looking at the National League one thing that kind of jumps out to me is that a lot of it falls on the club so it's what the club are putting in what's coming back out i suppose whereas you kind of need an overall effort across the board like from the top down
1: yeah i totally agree um the clubs can only do so much um if you knew what went into running a women's national league team if people knew the expense that went in the fundraising that has to happen and these are things you don't think of because you're like this is the top league in ireland girls shouldn't have to be backpacking but they are like and the girls are happy to do it because they want to play for their club they want and the clubs are so supportive of them. But if you could just get that same support from a higher level, it would be great. You're committing all this time, all this effort and then there'll be something that just knocks the league back. Like I remember when year ref wasn't told about a change of time for a fixture and that in a season where everything was going well became the thing that blew up on social media, became the thing that kind of an embarrassing aspect to it so it's like that standards the girls are driving it gym nutrition all that sort of stuff and then one thing will kind of just get latched onto and like people will be like oh typical of the girls game or whatever like that so
2: and I suppose very lastly Karen the big question can Ireland have a world-class women's football league by 2029 is it possible it's definitely possible but not in the current state,
1: not, not as we are. It's not just going to kick into gear without all the things that we've mentioned. Um, it's, it's, and especially now, if it's going to just be a stepping stone. But again, is, we, it's all about timing. Like now is not the time, but when is the time and who's going to be the person to do it? So you'd like to think so. I think that a lot of it will be dependent on the women's national team. I hope that when they qualify again, it'll raise standards in the country, it'll raise interest and then it'll all filter down through the National League under 17, down to the schools. And then again, we can talk about those school structures and and really, really kicking on from there.
0: That's the internal players perspective there from Karen. But obviously this is a global problem slash opportunity. So we wanted to hear from somebody who's been keeping an eye on the game on a more international front. Ono Callaghan, a journalist who you'll know from his contributions to the 42, spoke with Emma earlier about what he thinks Ireland could do to fit into that global landscape of women's football.
2: I suppose we'll start with Colin Bell's departure maybe first and and the quote that he said about how frustrated he was with structures and the progress in the Women's National League maybe just to remind you it's so the Women's National team has come on in leaps and bounds but still I was a little bit frustrated that work on the actual structures of underage football and the Women's National League was going too slow and I think I had a good plan in place to improve that. I suppose Owen what's your take on his exit?
3: I think it's a blow. I think you know Colin came in and, and was a little bit of a breath of fresh air. I think the players really liked working with him and and respected his work ethic and and what he brought to the table. You know, obviously it's 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 a neat bit of dovetailing as well. You know, this is I think um, the the best Irish squad that, that we've ever had, and Colin was overseeing that. So so I think it was it was just a kind of a harmonious relationship. But I I think getting into the nitty gritty of you know that particular quote and, and and getting at the league structure, I think these are age-old discussions these are age-old issues and you talk to any stakeholders within you know Irish women's football right back you know early 90s late 80s even before that um, these things have, have always been there and and I think it's it's a it starts with a generalization I think and, and you always have to be aware of of tokenism and you always have to be uh, a little bit wary of of women's sport generally being treated as some sort of corporate social responsibility, something that, that looks good, um, something that people can put in prospectus and people can put in in fancy pamphlets and get sponsorship deals for. Um, if you really want to work at something, you need to invest in it, but it cannot be, uh, you know, invest in it on a Monday and by Friday, all the money's gone. It needs to be a concerted effort. And I think that the league um, has, has suffered from that.
2: Um, but Owen, we've kind of looked at structures elsewhere, like I suppose the Dutch League, we've looked at the UK, we've looked at the US, you're in Canada yourself. Are there any kind of examples that that's jump out to yourself that may work in Ireland?
3: Canadian women's team ha- carry a greater profile over here than their male counterparts, mainly because they're successful and the men aren't. And you know, as a result of that, you, you actually have um, a, a great degree of, of profile uh, attached to, to to certain players, obviously the standout is a Christine Sinclair, but but there are others as well. And yet, there is no league for women in Canada. You know, Canada are are perennial contenders. Anytime the World Cup comes along, uh, you, the Olympics, you know, they're always there, or thereabouts, possibly picking up a medal. And they don't have a domestic league. You look at their elite players having to go to the United States or having to go to other countries in the world to actually make a living. You you kind of stretch it out even to the United States, which is, you know, we've, we're in the kind of post euphoric uh, World Cup moment. So spotlight firmly on on the United States and states, and quite rightfully so, but. They have their own issues you know and and you know i kind of said this the other day to somebody you always have to be wary about the the post world cup come down because you you've afforded everyone's great deal of positivity and you've had four weeks of, of people kind of immersed in this great kind of celebration of women's game and it is just so of the moment because all of these players have their own teams and they play week in week out they're the, still the same players uh, Megan Rapinoe is still a rock star, whether she plays for Reign FC or whether she plays for the United States. Alex Morgan in Orlando is still the best player around when it comes to scoring goals and being a fox in the box or whatever. You look at, at attendances in the United States, which, which surely you would argue would be so far ahead of of, of of the entire world when it comes to promoting women's soccer. and. You know, I, I mentioned what Rain FC, who, who Rapino plays for, they still, on an average, they get under 4,000 people at a game. Now, you compare that to Ireland, somebody will bite your arm off to have 4,000 people come in through a turnstile. But But, um, you know, Carly Lloyd plays for Skype UFC, who are based in, in New Jersey. You know, pr- probably barely 1,500 people come through uh, to, to watch her play on a week-to-week basis. Uh, you know, Alex is, is in Orlando, what, probably about 4,500 uh, average at games? You do have your purple patch sort of situations, but it comes back to geography and it comes back to success.
2: For sure. I think it's just like a lot of small improvements everywhere, whereas people just kind of jump to major investments and major backings. But if we kind of start with small improvements from the ground, we can build it up.
3: I think you bring it back maybe to to, to the country that we are as well. It's kind of, we're always obsessed with robbing Peter to pay Paul, that you were always looking for the plaster to stick over the hole. And rather than taking a step back and strategizing and looking at a bigger picture, it's a day-to-day frantic battle to get something over the line. If, if someone is given a consistent product, they will eventually buy into it. Consistency is a really important part of anything. And what you want to do is in, you know obviously the, 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 the grand dream and the objective is, is to have uh, families bringing their kids to games wearing jerseys of your local team and you're going to watch as per you would uh, you know as per any other league
0: There's probably a lot of people out there right now who think the idea of a really successful women's national league is too much of a pipe dream for Ireland, but it has been done. Helen O'Rourke is the chief executive officer of the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. And since joining the association in 1994, she has seen it grow from the minnow it was to a huge organisation bringing in hundreds of millions a year and has hundreds of thousands of kids playing the game all around the world. So I wanted you to kind of take us back to the beginning, but also if you can run through the numbers first for for us, what kind of participation levels and audience numbers are we talking about for the ladies football at the moment? Um,
4: as regards registered members, we have over 180,000 registered members at the moment. We have 32 counties involved. We've got over a thousand clubs in Ireland. And then there's a huge um, international factor to our sport as well, which has really grown in recent years where we see the games basically played throughout the world.
0: 180,000 members. How many of them would actually be playing? At the
4: vast majority of them because what, we, what people really see, they see the elite end of our sport and they think of our sport as the intercounty sector of it. But really that's only one very small part of it. The huge growth in our sport has been at underage in schools. So of our membership, we have young girls playing from eight years right up. And those numbers are just huge throughout, throughout the country. Like,
0: What has been the biggest factors in making that happen going from the attendances, if you have the figures mm. of what was happening in the 90s to now, what was the biggest factor in changing them?
4: I suppose the main thing with everything, if you can't see the sport, You can't promote the sport if people aren't coming to our games, if they can't see the game on television, well, then nobody knows about it. And you're just depending on the locals to support it. And I suppose one of the big factors for us was when TG Cahar came on board in 2001, as our championship sponsor and our broadcast sponsor. And I think for the first time ever, instead of going, looking, fighting to get coverage of maybe one or two matches a year, we were getting league finals, we were getting All-Ireland finals, we were getting semi-finals, we were getting club finals. So there was a focus going into the homes. People could see our game, could see the product. Teachers could see the product that we had. And I think there was that realisation out there that this was a game that 15 players could play at one time. And if you have a large group of girls in a school or in clubs or in a community, that they realise, you know, it's nice to be able to play a team sport where you can involve a lot of players. And I think that was the real turning point for us was the coverage. The one thing with us, when we look at our sponsors, we don't just take anybody like what's important to us as an association and has always been is that our sponsor becomes a partner with us and that they work with us. It's not a matter of giving us a check and saying, off you go, do whatever you want with that, that we get the most out of it for our sport, but we also help them build their product.
0: And did you see generally press coverage increase after that sponsorship came in, it wasn't just left to teach There was, there was further or was that a slower burn?
4: It was a slower burn, but I think it was also something that we realised as a female sport, that if you were to succeed and if you're to be successful and get people involved, you have to get involved as well with it. So what we would do is that we would actually do... uh, pre-match interviews we would supply a lot of the stuff to the media but I think it's a two-way thing that I think the association has to be willing to supply some of the information because you know there's not enough journalists out there to go out to cover everything anyway and if you don't supply the information well then you won't get it.
0: And working with the players as well does that mean you have to get their agreement as well to give of themselves?
4: Yeah, our players have been fantastic and I suppose if you look at the intercounty players and what TJ Cahar brought as well, it also brought the All-Star night, it brought the All-Star tour, it gave the players a much greater profile, it, you know, gave them a presence in the homes throughout the country and, you know, it was something that I suppose elite players always like to see is a higher profile, it gave them a higher profile in the community and it also shows showcased their skills. But what we have is a fantastic group of intercounty players right throughout the country that are there to play football but they're also there to promote the sport and they know the sport isn't at a place yet where it's all about them getting something but they're always very willing to give and turn up to promote the game, turn up to launches, go to photo shoots and be there for the sponsors and you know we're very grateful to them for all of that.
0: Is any of this replicable do you think for other sports or is there something quite unique about ladies football?
4: I think it is. Like, I I think what we have can be replicated for other sports. I think sometimes, you know, sports governing bodies feel that um, they demand too much of their sponsors instead of looking how they can work together to go to a different level with their sponsor and supporting, you know, being there as a support for each other. That's what we have done with sponsors over the years. I think if you look at um, your players, it has to be about everybody it just can't be about the elite and while within the media we're perceived you know it's all about the inter-county it's what goes on at local level that's really really important and that you're catering for all age groups and that you're trying to keep everybody in the in, in the game, like from your young the young girls up to, like we have a Gaelic for Mothers uh, programme, which is very, very successful. I think what we recognised is that everybody doesn't want to be an elite athlete, doesn't want to play at the top level. There are people that want to just play for the fun, that want to play recreationally, that want to play for a few weeks or a few months. And I think if sports are willing to look at that and basically nothing comes handed to you. You have to work very, very hard at it. You have to work at your structures. You have to be always aware of what's maybe what the next challenge is and where you where you want to go with that. We are back in studio with the journal.e's 2029
0: Great Forecasting Machine. And Emma, you are going to do the honours. You're going to put all of these opinions and thoughts into it and we're going to figure out whether ireland will have a very successful women's national league by 2029
2: okay it's going in
0: (laughs) (laughs) i reckon we could both predict what it's going to say but we'll just let it
2: let it do its thing anyway absolutely it's working away there yeah flying it I have it here now,
0: Snaid. Here you go. There we go. Let me guess what's on it. Actually, I won't guess. So I'm just going to turn it around. I think me nor you will be surprised by the verdict of not a hope. <laughs> we might yeah. also be depressed by that.
2: Absolutely. As optimists, we'd like to, to hope there is. Well, there will be improvements made. I fully believe that. But I don't think we can have an exactly world-class Football League, Women's Football League in Ireland by 2029, considering the progress that's been made elsewhere and where the bar is at the minute.
0: Yeah, and the lack of personnel. I was really struck by Helena Rourke and how she was the absolute right person to bring the LGFA from what it was to what it is today. And I haven't seen those people in the FAI. I haven't I haven't heard from them. Colin Bell is the closest we've got and he left.
2: <laughs> For sure, Schneid, I think from speaking to both Karen and Owen and from your conversation with Helen, we've seen that someone does need to take it by the scruff of the neck and there needs to be that passion there and that ambition and that drive there. And I don't know if there's anyone who can do that. What do you think, even if we are just talking about small improvements, what small improvements could we see by
0: 2029?
2: Well, I think in women's sport in general, I think exposure is very, very important. Um, We've seen it with ladies football, how TG Carr have brought the game on, how Lidl have brought the game on where do you see the women's national league you know unless you're following the right accounts on social media you can't really keep up with it a lot of it kind of falls on the clubs to record their matches and hope that some bit of brilliant play happens and, and something goes viral like l- stephanie Roach's goal, of course so little things like that i think would really help bring things on if you look at the usa and obviously off the back of their, their recent World Cup win. I think it was quite interesting, actually, after their semi-final, the Football Association's head of women's football, Sue Campbell in the UK, said that these women came through their schools with soccer in reference to the American players in some schools in America they get soccer every day of the week in some of our schools we're lucky if they get a few hours a week you can't start suddenly developing this three quarters of the way through their development you have to start at the foundation stage until we get the foundations right we are going to be playing catch up and that's the exact same in Ireland. I think Emma we've given it not a hope but I think both of us are still hopeful
0: that in 10 years time there is going to be Somebody somewhere that has taken this issue by the scruff of the neck, as Karen said, and improved it. So we mightn't have a Women's National League that we all recognise or go to matches every year. But that there is a pathway for girls to play soccer for longer. And there's more choice, there's more competition and there's just a better standard. And that's definitely something we can hope for
2: over the next 10 years. Thanks for listening to the seventh episode in this 10 part series on Ireland 2029. This episode is brought to you by producer Conal Thomas, presenters Emma Duffy and Sinead O'Carroll, series producer Orla Ryan, editor Andy Roberts and executive producer Christine Bowen. Thanks to Paula Lyne and our contributors for this week's episode. Ireland 2029 is a podcast from the journal.ie supported by Volkswagen. It's time for electric cars for the people. Discover the future of electric mobility with the Volkswagen ID family at Volkswagen.ie.